you all would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. We are nearing the end of our study of the, the book of Exodus. That might seem weird because uh, there are still quite a few more chapters, but we've actually already covered um, 35 through 39 earlier with the building of the tabernacle, and so we are getting uh, very close. Last week, we saw what I called the greatest prayer. Uh, and now, is this actually the greatest prayer? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, like, here's the greatest prayer. Uh, but, like, I, I, re I read that prayer that Moses gave and, and said, that is what we need. That prayer was, please show me your glory. And, and if you, hear, you were here last week, you remember God had already answered Moses' temporal prayers like God had already promised that he would not destroy Israel for their idolatry uh, there with the golden calf God had already promised that he would go with them and protect Israel uh, in the wilderness and God had already promised that he would give them the promised land and in that moment Moses just seems so overwhelmed with the goodness of God that he says Please show me your glory. I want to see you. I, I don't just want the blessings you can give me. God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want you. So we talked about that last week, the, the greatest prayer that, that we all should adopt in our lives and truly mean it from the heart. God, please show me your glory. But this week, I want to talk about the greatest pursuit the greatest pursuit, and this again follows the, the, the storyline of what happened to Moses and the way he interacted with God. But our greatest pursuit is this, and it's in your notes if you have those, to shine with God's glory. That is for us to shine, to reflect the glory of God. So the greatest prayer is, God, please show me your glory. And then the, our greatest pursuit is to shine with that very same glory. Now, as we'll see in just a moment, uh, reading from Exodus 34, for Moses, uh, that meant that his face was literally shining, beaming with rays of light of the glory of God. Now, if that's happening to you, I recommend you go to the hospital. That's just my, my recommendation. You've probably been around radiation or something. So if your face is literally beaming light, um, something is not going well for you. Um, but just as we saw last week that, that Moses, you remember this? Moses physically saw a manifestation of the glory of God. This is God is spirit, but God made his, his glory physically manifest for Moses in that time. And he saw that. So now Moses has a physical representation of that glory but we saw last week that we can still very much see and behold the glory of God. But we do that through his word. We do that as he speaks in our hearts. We do that even as we look at creation, his splendor, his power, uh, and, and all, all that he's done. And we, we do that most powerfully as we look to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where God's holy justice, his righteous wrath against sin is put on display, but also his love his compassion, his mercy, his forgiveness. We see the glory of God put on display 
in the gospel. And so we, we talked about that last week, that actually we can now see more of God's glory than Moses did when he was in the cleft of that rock and God passed by because we have a greater revelation in Christ Jesus and we have that in his word. And so we, we think about that. Okay, Moses saw a physical uh, manifest glory of God and he reflected physical manifest glory of God. We, on the other hand, see very real but spiritual glory of God. We see it with the eyes of our hearts. And so we don't reflect it with our faces, uh, with actual rays of light. Rather, we reflect God's glory with our lives. To shine with God's glory is for your affections, your likes, dislikes, things like that, your, your loves, what you treasure your attitudes, your actions, your reactions, all of what makes up your life to display the glory of God. In the same way as Moses' face shone, we want our lives to shine with the glory of God. And, and, and the reason I say this is the greatest pursuit is because we live in a fallen world system. Like this, the world that we live in right now is, is under a curse, it's broken. We are all, even if we're saved, still living in our flesh. We are not yet perfected. And so everything other than God's grace pushes us to waste our lives. I hope you understand that. Like I some days just like I, I, I like shudder thinking of how easy it is for me to spend my life chasing trinkets and pursuing very trivial things rather than the glory of God. And so this is a life well lived, a life that says, God, please show me your glory, and that pursues shining with God's glory. But I, I do want us to see in Exodus where this is, is coming from. So again, if you'll, you'll look in your Bibles at Exodus 34, and we're going to pick it up there in verse 28. Verse 28, and I went ahead in these verses up on the screen, and the way that I'll read it, I went ahead and put the names in instead of just pronouns so that it would give you some context here. <clears throat> so Exodus uh, 34, beginning in verse 28, it says, So Moses was there, that's on the mountain, Mount Sinai with God, was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And God wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mount, mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, oh, I'm not, I haven't been going forward. I'm sorry about that. I don't even know where I'm at. Are we there yet? I don't know. Sorry. Look, just look in your Bibles. <laughs> uh, so, uh, here we go. Afterward, all the people came near, and he, and he commanded them, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Verse 33. 
And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him, that is, to speak with God. So that, that is God's word. That's what happened with Moses. This, this comes in the wake of, please show me your glory. He comes back and his face is literally shining with beams of light, is, is the, the, the Hebrew word is beams. It's actually the same word as used for horns. It's, it was protruding, shining these beams of light. And so he's shining the light of the glory of God when he comes down to the people of Israel. And, and I would say for you, just as his prayer, please show me your glory, is, is quite possibly the greatest prayer you could uh, request of God. I would say this is the greatest pursuit that you could ever spend your life doing. That is to shine the light of the glory of God. Now, now you might be asking why. Why, is it, why would I want this? Why do I sh- want to shine the light of the glory of God? Why, why should I make that my life's pursuit? And so I'll give you this. Uh, number one, and we'll, we'll see this um, in the text as well. Oh, we've got to keep going. Number one, shining with God's glory multiplies worship. This is why it is so important that we shine, that we reflect the glory of God. Because when we are shining with God's glory, it multiplies worship in the people around us. I want you to remember that this whole story, this, like the whole reason Moses is talking with God is because Israel, right after receiving the law of Moses, right after coming into the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, they turn and worship an idol that they made. They make a golden calf and they bow down and worship it instead of Yahweh God. This is, this is where Israel is at. And and, and before Moses interceded for the people of Israel, God was going to utterly destroy them. He was going to start over with Moses and fulfill his promises through Moses, but he was going to destroy Israel because of their idolatry. All that happened in Exodus 32. But now, Moses, you got to kind of picture this, Moses says, God, please show me your glory. And God does. He, he reveals his glory to, to Moses, both in a physical manifestation and also by proclaiming his name. And do you remember what it was Moses did? He bowed down to the ground in worship to God. So that was Moses' response to, uh, to God's glory, to, to beholding God's glory. But now Moses comes down back to this rebellious people, the, the people of Israel, and his face is shining. Do you know what the next thing is that happens in Exodus? This is Exodus 34. Do you know what Exodus 35 is about? There's a short interlude about the Sabbath regulations, but then verse 4 of Exodus 35, Moses says, this is what the Lord says, make anyone who has a generous heart give a contribution for the tabernacle, this dwelling place of God. So he's, he's saying, 
from a generous heart, from a worshipful heart, give to God. And he's not asking uh, for, for, you know, pocket change and, and sticks that they gather. Uh, here are the things that, that God is asking for. God uh, is asking for huge amounts of gold, silver, and bronze. God asks for uh, fabrics of blue and purple and scarlet, which would have been very expensive in that day. God asks for acacia wood, which, you know, they're in the wilderness, so getting wood is, is uh, quite a task. And God is even asking for precious stones that will be put on the priest's uh, ephod, their, uh, their breastplate. And so this was not a, a taxation God's saying, like, anyone who is of a generous heart, anyone who, whose heart moves within them is the wording that's used there in Exodus 35, bring the contributions. And do you know what happens? Some of you remember, we already talked about this. Do you know what happens when they're asked to bring all these worldly treasures? Again, this is the same people who would bow down to this golden calf, were worshiping it. But by the time you get to Exodus 36, they run into a problem. Do you know what the problem is? They have gotten too much contributions. They have too much gold, silver, and bronze. They have too much of this uh, expensive material. They, they have too much wood. They, they say, Moses, command the people to stop bringing contributions to the Lord. That is the next thing that happens when Moses comes down with his face shining. And so you remember on Mount Sinai, uh, Moses sees the glory of God and he falls down in worship to God. But then he comes down from the mountain and his face is shining with the glory of God and it multiplies his worship. His worship becomes Israel's worship. Now Israel will have lots of ups and downs, but in this moment, they, they are enamored with God. God is now their treasure, and they are worshiping him abundantly, more than they need to build this great tabernacle, this mobile temple for God. And so you say, well, why did the people do that? They saw the glory of God through Moses. Moses was reflecting not his own glory, but the glory of God. The people saw God's glory it proved, you could say, the glory of God. It proved that God was real. It proved that Moses had really been speaking to God and that his words were from God. And it proved the supremacy, the, the, the majesty of the glory of God. Because you think about this. If, if someone comes back and their face is beaming with light, you say, well, that's not normal. Most humans don't have a beaming face. You say, well, I was with God. Would, would that not lead you to believe that that God must be infinitely, supremely glorious if he has transfigured his face to be beaming with light? They see God's glory as a reflection through Moses, and they worship God. Idolaters are now worshiping God. This is a beautiful thing, and this is a theme that does run all through Scripture, and it very much runs into the New Testament. And, and interestingly enough, the, the Bible tells us um, this is exactly what we are supposed to be doing, that we are supposed to shine the light of God. Again, not uh, physical beams of light coming from our face, but in our lives, reflecting the glory of God. 
you think about just some verses that, that came to my mind. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 31. So whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What does that mean to do it to the glory of God? Like, is there some physical object, the glory of God, and we're doing it to? No, like it is to the glory and praise of God that others might see the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether it's working, taking care of the kids, whether it's school, interactions with your neighbors, do all of it to put the glory of God on display. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Matthew 5, 16, you're probably familiar with this passage. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do, do you see that? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he changes it to you believers. You are now the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. Why? So that it may see your good works. That your life may put on display the glory of God. So that the other people give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your worship of God becomes their worship of God. Uh, and I'll just give you one last one. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. It says... And this just gives you a helpful example of, of practically what this might look like. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent uh, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You might say a dark generation, a dark world among whom you shine as lights in the world. Reflect Display the glory of God. Shine with the glory of God that others might worship him. That your worship of God might become their worship of God. And, and, and you think about this, about, about how, how true this is in our lives. Like, actually, before I say how true this is in our lives, I want to give you an opposite example. Okay? Because, I mean, we... we we kind of think about this, okay, yeah, let my light so shine. I want to show you that the Bible actually has opposite examples of how when you let your darkness <laughs> shine, it actually has a, a darkening effect. Um, Genesis nineteen fourteen. this is uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah incident. Sodom and Gomorrah, God rains sulfur and, and fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah because they, they are wicked cities. But before God does that, God sends two angels into Sodom because Abraham's nephew, Lot, his name is Lot, lives there. <clears throat> and so uh, the, these angels come to him and say, you and all your family, like bring your family out of this city for God is going to utterly destroy it. And so Lot's like, okay, I, I guess I need to do this. So look at what it says there, Genesis nineteen 14. He'd been living in Sodom. He'd been to some degree blending in with the people of Sodom. And it says this, So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. So he, he's giving them a very real warning, like, this is your chance of salvation, like, condemnation, wrath is coming. Let's get out of here. Let's go to, God is leading us out of here. But look at what it says there. I, I underlined it on the, the screen up there. But he seemed to his son, sons-in-law to be jesting. That is to be joking. They were so unaccustomed 
to taking Lot serious about God. He, he looked so much like the darkness around him that when he says, here's what God says, like this city is going to be destroyed. Let's get, there's a way of salvation. They just laugh at him. They think he is joking. His light was so dim that they, they say, I don't believe your message. I, I, I mean, whether or not they even believe God is, is real, I don't know. But th- this is what happens, guys. When we look like the world, why would they believe us when we have an otherworldly message to share with them? When, when, when it looks like we treasure the things of this world, the pleasures that this world can offer us, the comforts that this world can offer us, why would someone believe us when we say we have a far greater treasure? Why? I wouldn't believe that. I'd say, yeah, you're part of a club called Christianity. Cool, it makes you feel good at night. I'm good. I'll continue treasuring my sin, my pleasure, my comfort. This is what happens. But, but again, I, I want to remind you, like, the, the, the light is a real thing. We can reflect the glory of God. We can shite shine with the glory of God, and it, it proves that God is real. It proves that God is really glorious because they see our lives, and we don't look like the world around us. I'm not saying we wear world, uh, we, my goodness, wear weird clothes. should not have put those two words together in my, my thoughts. I'm not saying we try to be weird, <laughs> but I'm saying if you are truly following Christ, if you're, you're truly changed by Christ, you will be different than the world around you. You will treasure different things. You will spend your time doing different things. You will talk a different way. You absolutely will because the world is chasing after corruption and self. But when they see us, they say, man, that's different. That is otherworldly and it proves, it shows an otherworldly God and it shows that he is glorious, that he is to be treasured. It multiplies our worship. This is a life well lived. A life well, uh, sorry, a life wasted is, is to do just what the world does, pat people on the back on their way to hell. A life well lived is to shine the light of the glory of God to the people around us, to multiply our worship of God. But there, there, there's an important aspect here because many of us say, okay, this is how I think. We just live in a, okay, I just need to make changes. I'm going to start shining with the light of God. I'm going to start changing my affections and my attitudes and my actions and my reactions and my words. I'm, gonna, I'm going to be different to the world around me. But, but here's a principle that we must understand that we see here so strongly uh, with Moses in Exodus 34. Here, here's the principle I want you to, to understand. You will not shine God's glory without experiencing God's glory. You won't shine with God's glory without spending time in God's glory. Like, this is just a basic principle that, that if God's light is not radiating on you, you certainly will not reflect his light. Again, we, we just, we hope, like, I just hope good things happen through my life. I'm going to be a better person, and people are going to see a supernatural difference in me, but it does not happen without spending 
time with a supernatural, glorious God. We do not possess this glory in and of ourselves, and we cannot produce it in and of ourselves. We cannot. You think about uh, some of Jesus' words. He said, um, he says, a, a diseased tree cannot produce good fruit, like truly good fruit that people recognize as good fruit, because otherwise they taste it. It might look good, but then it's sour in their mouths. Jesus elsewhere said, uh, out of the heart, out of the wellspring of the heart, the mouth speaks. Like the words that come out of our mouths that, that, that hurt our, our uh, witness, that hurt uh, our affirmation of the glory of God and that he's a treasure, like those, those come out of our heart. It, this cannot be a superficial change. You will not shine God's glory without experiencing God's glory, without spending time in God's glory. And so I want to, again, show you this in Exodus. Um, we have, uh, again, uh, in Exodus 33, just to get you back up, up to where we are. 33:18, Moses said, please show me your glory. So you have this pleading saying, God, if I'm going to see your glory, if I'm going to truly experience how great and majestic and, and wonderful you are, you're going to have to show it to me. So God, please show me your glory. Then Exodus 34, verse 6, God does it. And God passed before Moses in all of his glory, and, and, and he like proclaims the glory of his name. That's not actually the verse, by the way. Anyway, um, that, that's, that's my summary. I didn't mean to put that up there. Uh, then Exodus 34, this is, this is the passage we're at right, right now. This is how we started today. God, God passes before him. And then it says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. Moses, even after God's glory passes by, he still stays in the presence of God. Maybe not the shining, blasting light uh, that happened while he's in the cleft of the rock. But Moses stays in the presence of God 40 days and 40 nights. And it mentions there, uh, he neither ate nor drank. Now that's not a prescription like that you should try not to eat and drink for 40 days, because I can tell you exactly what will happen. You'll be a lot closer to God real quick. You get what I'm saying? You'll be meeting him in, in person, uh, because you will not survive 40 days and 40 nights without drinking water unless God miraculously sustains you. And we're certainly not commanded to do this. But the point is clear. Moses, on, on, on that mountain, he's not, he's not doing a hike. He's not having a picnic. His focus, his attention for 40 days and 40 nights is on God. He is setting his mind, his sights on God. This is, God has, has his full focus. And then we even notice, by the way, uh, you know, this happened in the passage I read to you just a moment ago. He has that God, God reveal his glory, then he has the 40 days that he's on there, and so his face comes down beaming. But then it goes on to tell us what he continually did even after this. Uh, verse 34 of Exodus 34 begins by saying, whenever Moses went in before the Lord, that word whenever means this, this was a continual, it was a habitual thing. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil. Remember he had to put a veil on his face because the Israelites were, were scared of the, the beams of light. So he would go in to speak with God and he would remove the veil until he came back out of the tent of meeting. And it says, and when he came out, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face 
was shining. I believe the idea that we're supposed to get here is that this reflection would dim. That, that over time, he, he would, he would, the light beams would be less intense and then less intense, but then he would go back in. He would lift the veil there in God's presence, and he would come out, and the skin of Moses' face would be shining again, and he'd have to, have to recover it with the veil and all of that. And, and this is how it is for us, Christian. You cannot have one experience you cannot have a Sunday that God really speaks to your, your heart. You can't go to some, some concert and, and something happens. You can't just have one time that God frees you from sin and you say, oh, God's so glorious, now I'm going to shine with the light of his glory for the rest of my life. No, it, it does not work that way. I hate to say it, but we are leaky jars. Like God fills us up with his glory, but we're always trickling out the, the other side. And this is, again, how it is until we're in glory. We are always going to, yes, be receiving his glory, but it's always going to be running out as well. Our, our lives will, will slowly start to look like the world again unless we are continually, habitually going into God's presence, experiencing his glory over and over again. This is how Moses' face was shining. He did not produce it himself. He didn't even know that it was shining until the people run away from him in fear. He went into God's presence, he listened to God's words, he spoke to God, and he makes a practice of being in God's glorious presence, and his face continued to shine with the glory of God, and he could not help but shine with the glory of God, because he was being transformed in God's presence. Now, what's amazing is, and you may know this, in 2 Corinthians 3, the apostle Paul uses this Exodus 34 instance with Moses' shining face to tell us what it looks like for Christians now, for our light to shine. Uh, I'll show you this, Exodus, or no, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, 7. He says this, Now if the ministry of death, he's talking about the old covenant, that the law couldn't save, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory, so he's saying it came with glory, the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So what, what's, what's Paul's point? He's saying, okay, Moses, with the amount of revelation of God's glory he had, was beaming so brightly that he had to put a veil over his face. People couldn't look at him because of the beaming glory from his face. He says, now, he doesn't say, now that was just something for Moses. That was, he says, and actually, how much more glorious is this ministry of the Spirit? The ministry of the Spirit is, is talking about the new covenant, that in the new covenant, we receive the Holy Spirit within us. We, we turn to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so you think about that, like Moses was with God, like God, God was near him and he's, he's in God's presence. God is literally in us. And, and we have the new covenant. That, like this is the fulfillment of what the old covenant was just a shadow. Jesus is the substance. Like it's so much more glorious than this old covenant that Moses was, was living in and relating to God in. He's saying this one's so much more glorious that this, this ministry of the spirit like we should be shining even more, is Paul's point. 
But again, we, we don't just magically shine the moment we turn to Jesus. He says this, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, so this is just you know, 10 verses later after, after mentioning that. He says, and we all, all believers, we all with unveiled face, what's that talking about? It's talking about how Moses, before he would go into the tent of meeting, he would lift the veil and go into God's presence. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is into the same image as God, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, we have the Spirit within us. We go into the presence of God. We, we, and, and through that, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And I love even the wording of that. It helps us to recognize that, again, we are leaky vessels. Even in the New Covenant, even though the Holy Spirit permanently indwells us, it's not that we just, boom, all of a sudden we're shining, blazing light with the glory of God in our lives. It's we, we go in and we meet with Him, and we, we, we shine a little brighter. Then we go in and we meet with Him, and just from, from degrees, like we just shine a little brighter. This is what Paul is saying. Like This is what we should be learning from Exodus 34 is not just that's something that happened to Moses, that this is something that should be happening with us. That we should be shining with the light of the glory of God, that, that our worship can be multiplied in the people around us. But that only happens as we lift that veil and we behold the glory of the Lord. We go in and he transforms us from one degree of glory to another. This is how our lives will be well spent. I, I want us to just remember this. Because you could say, isn't our greatest pursuit to like worship God? Remember, you're multiplying your worship. Like if you are going in to behold the glory of the Lord, like worship will happen in your heart. But it won't stop there. That's what's so beautiful about this greatest pursuit to shine the light. Your worship becomes others' worship. God is glorified. You are satisfied. And others receive that same satisfaction in him. It, it, it is multiplied. It's a joyous thing. I think about um, a football game. You know, if you're the only fan and you're watching a game on TV or something and you're the only fan uh, of the team that's winning, like, that's kind of fun to watch them win. But isn't it more fun when everyone around you is saying, yes, every time they score a touchdown? Again, your joy will be multiplied even as the, the worship God receives is, is multiplied through this. And so I, I want to give you, though, before we leave today, I, I don't want to just leave it at that so vague, behold the glory of the Lord. That, by the way, is literally our mission statement. Behold, grow, go, right? Behold the glory of the Lord, grow, be transformed, and then go out and shine his light. But, but I want to make this practical for you today. So I want to give you three very practical takeaways and and. They're, they are going to sound overly simplistic, but I promise you, if you do them, things will happen. You, you will begin to experience the glory of God, and you will begin to reflect the glory of God, to shine with His light. So you, you have this in your notes, and I've got it up there on the screen. How can you experience the glory of God? I, just, I have a word of instruction for you. This is instruction, a prescription for your life. By the way, this is not my prescription, this is God's prescription uh, for how you can behold his glory. And there are more ways than the three that I give you. But, but here are three things that are essential 
for you experiencing the glory of God with any regularity to be able to um, shine that light. First, get in a good church. Get in a good church. Christians are not to be lone rangers. We are to be in the body. We're, We're to be knit and joined together, Paul tells us in Ephesians, and we build one another up. That is, we, we point one another to the glory of God. We point one another to the faithfulness of God. We point one another to the power of God. We, we are seeing his glory through one another. And so I, I know you're already at church right now, so it's kind of preaching to the choir thing. But, you know, not all of you um, attend here or, or, you know, anything like that. So if, I don't care if it's here. I, I really, I would love to have you, you know, at, at, this, at this church. But be a part of a good church that preaches the gospel and the glory of God. That isn't just about behavior modification, but about the glory of God who changes us from the inside out. Get in a good church. Next, read your Bible. Get in your Bible. Again, God's glory. Jesus has ascended to heaven. Like if Jesus were, were you know, at the temple in Jerusalem, I'd say, let's all go to Jerusalem. Like let's go behold his glory But Jesus has ascended, but he has sent the Holy Spirit. Remember the ministry of the Spirit. He has sent the Holy Spirit to shine the glory of God, the the light of Jesus in our hearts. But he does that through his word. You remember this living and active word that God has given us? The, The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God? Get in your Bible and look for God's glory. It is on every page, I promise you, every page has the glory of God and we see it most fully and clearly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. His perfect life, his substitutionary death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. That is where we most clearly see the glory of God, his glorious attributes put on display. And then finally, get on your knees. Some of you say, ah, I got bad knees, I can't do that. I'm speaking, excuse me, speaking figuratively. <laughs> like, you don't actually have to get on your knees because God isn't concerned with our posture as much as, as that we are praying to him. He's not concerned about the posture of our body so much as the posture of our hearts. And so get with the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> I've mentioned to many of you, like, this is an area God is really working in my life right now that I'm like, I'm in a good church. I think the pastor's amazing. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, but no, like, you know, like I, I, I'm following God, that, that I'm not neglecting uh, meeting together with, with God's people. And, and then I'm, I'm in my Bible. Like, I, I love theology. I love studying. I love trying to figure it out and, and seeing God's glory in that way. But I've recognized that, that somewhere in, in the last couple of years, maybe, my, my time in prayer has just been less sweet, been less actual communion with God, and I miss it, and I am working on it <laughs> like crazy. Uh, I, I'll tell you what I do right now. Um, I go into my office to work, and I'm like, okay, I need to get to work. I need to start studying. I need to start, uh, you know, read my Bible. Isn't that what God wants? No, God wants me to spend time with him in prayer, and so I set a timer on my phone uh, when I get into my office right now that I will not touch anything else. I have full freedom until that timer goes off, to just spend it with God, not to rush in prayer, not to just run through my list of prayer requests and then say, thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You know, like, 
No, but to, to, to yeah, ca- cast my anxieties on him and, and talk to him about those things and to, to receive that peace, to, 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 to worship him in that moment, and even to let God remind me of his love for me, his acceptance of me that comes completely in Christ Jesus. And, and I'll tell you, like, this is where it happens. This is where our, our faith is built up. I mean, it happens through all these things, working in conjunction but you cannot leave one out. You can't leave out church. You can't leave out the Bible. You can't leave out prayer. Because God makes it real to us. He makes his glory real to us through his word and through prayer. I know I got to move off that at some point. But get in a good church. Get in your Bible. Get on your knees. Experience the glory of God. I want to give you, though, next a word of warning. So you're going to be praying, right? God, please show me your glory. You're going to be digging in God's word, looking for glory. You're going to be at church being encouraged by one another and, and encouraged by God's word preached in, in, in here and in Sunday school and things like that. And you're going to start shining with that glory. You say, this is great. Everyone's going to love it. I, I, this, it's a new me and it's going to be wonderful. Well, I will just tell you now, a word of warning, not everyone will like you shining. Um, we see this with Moses. When he first comes down, what do they do? Do they give him a big hug and say, now you're the coolest, now that your face is shining? They run away from him. They run away from him in fear. I mean, he does call them back and, and stuff, and, and they, they come back. I think about Jesus. Jesus, again, is the supreme display of the glory of God. And in his, even in his earthly life, he was uh, the radiance of God's glory. And what did people do to him? They nailed him to a cross. You know, they said this is blasphemy, uh, like that he's calling himself God. He's making himself equal with God. They knew he was God. They saw his miracles. Like, I mean, you can read about it. The Pharisees will say, we see that this man who was lame is now walking. How are we going to hide this? They knew he was God. They just didn't like it. John 3, 19 and 20 explains it well. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. What that means is people saw the light of Jesus and they said, I like my darkness. So they, they, they literally put him to death because of it. And we are promised that the same thing will happen to us. Jesus told his disciples and tells us, if they hated me, they will hate you also. We, we, we need to get comfortable, maybe not comfortable, I don't know, at least accept the idea that everyone is not going to like it when we are showing supernatural love. Do you know why? Because they have so much hatred in their hearts. People aren't going to like it when we share this gospel of Jesus Christ who forgives us of our sins and cleanses us of our sins. You know why? Because they love their sin. And so they're going to push you away. This is what happens. Not everyone will like you, you, you shining. It will not always be appreciated the way you would think. But I want to end with a word of encouragement. The reward is far greater than the cost promise you. The reward of being rejected by people, disliked by people, mocked by people, even persecuted by people, 
the reward is far greater than the cost. Again, you think about Moses. It probably was a little annoying when he has been gone for 40 days and he comes back and people go running away from him. Like, that's not exactly the welcome party he probably wanted. And so that probably kind of hurt for him. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you look at it and, and you remember, like, it was a process. Like, he, he felt the pain of rejection for that moment. But then the, the people come back around. And then next thing you know, they're, they're, they're worshiping God, giving of gold, silver, all these things. The reward was worth the cost. Jesus was the same way. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that, that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus came into this world as the light of the world, knowing it would cost him, knowing that people would try to snuff him out. John 1 tells us that the darkness has not overcome him, by the way. It was a, uh, all a part of his plan for him to be put to death. Why? Because people not liking him, people rejecting him, and people even putting him to death, the cost was worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And I will say the same thing to you. If you, if you begin spending time in the glory of God, experiencing his glory, being transformed by his glory, and, and shining that glory, being bold with that glory, not everyone is going to like it. You may have relatives who, who, who don't want you over to their house anymore at, at Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, like these, these things can happen. You may have friends who no longer call you. You may have people at work who mock you, make fun of you, whatever. You may lose your job for it. But I can promise you, the reward is worth the cost because God will work through it. This, the same God who called light out of darkness calls light to shine in the hearts of unbelievers. But he does that through our light shining. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. This is where we're at. Like, everyone's not going to like it, but we can't be ashamed of it. Because God works through it. Our worship becomes their worship. God gets glory. We get joy. And others get an eternal relationship with the God of glory. And so I challenge you today, I, I urge you today to join with me in this pursuit of the glory of God, not to waste our lives on the trivial, to leverage our lives, this one life, earthly life God has given us, behold his glory, enjoy it, worship him, all those things, and then to go out reflecting that same glory. Let's pray. Father God, I confess personally, and I want to help anyone else.